1: Miami, surge, surge, the new Miami, the new Woo. Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge. It's thing when we walk through, with the you ain't no bark dude, straight dog when we bring the fight. fight, ain't scared of no bright lights.
2: All right, welcome back to the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic, and it is 7 p.m. on Wednesday, August 25th. I've been in quarantine here in Casa Navarro for six days, tested negative twice. But unfortunately, COVID has crept into the Navarro household. My six-year-old tested positive after uh, parents sent a sick kid to school last week and decided, you know what? Uh, Yeah, he's got a cough and a runny nose. Doesn't matter. We're going to send him anyway. And so my Olivia, my beautiful six-year-old daughter, Olivia, tests positive positive. And now everybody in the house is uh, on lockdown. And thankfully, the rest of us haven't got anything. Olivia is perfectly healthy. She had a little bit of a headache, but she's over it. And so now, you know, I haven't been able to go to UN practice all week. Life has been disrupted. Thankfully, we've got our health. But I'm sitting here doing a podcast tonight, talking to one of my best friends, Walt V. Money, Walter Villa, freelancer who is. If you're not familiar with South Florida sports, he's covered it all down here for a long time. Was my editor at the Miami Herald many moons ago. Walter, thanks for coming on the show. I know you care about my kids, Miss Olivia and everybody else. And you've been very concerned calling. I appreciate it.
1: Carl, you, I think your voice is sped up. Some, something, and I'm being serious now, something's wrong with the technology. You're speaking like a mile a minute. Or maybe it's a difference between Alabama speed and Miami's. But you, uh, you might want to modulate something there. <laughs> because your voice is coming out like this as you're speed talking and uh, that's not quite your usual mojo <laughs> well it's i think it's the internet care.
2: connection between the two of us for whatever reason it's uh maybe not recording well i don't know um but i'm gonna cross my fingers and proceed with this episode of wide right talking to you about the canes and hope that uh, it stays on track we'll see
1: Maybe try to speak slower. So, okay. or maybe it's just what do you think of that? Is that how much faster Alabama is going to be than Miami in an opening night? Is that uh, what's going well, on? Well, I don't know
2: if they're going to be faster. I know they're going to be bigger and badder and more talented. So that's that's the reality of it. But speed may or may not play a role in that uh, first game, September 4th. How jacked up are you, by the way? Is the green and orange fluid Wall V money fully flowing? How, uh, how excited are you for that game?
1: Oh, I'm excited for the game, but it's it's a it's an opener. I can't remember any opener like this where my, even the most optimistic of Hurricanes fans, of which I am one of those, expects to lose. I mean, that's unusual, correct? Have you, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, eight-ish win Miami team to face the defending national champions, where Miami fans are resigned to a loss. And hoping at least most Miami fans, I know Kelvin Harris is predicting a victory, but, uh, you know, I think even most uh, optimistic fans would say if they play them respectably and tough, that would be a good omen for the rest of the season. That's certainly my attitude is, again, back to winning the Coastal. And, you know, if you get blown out by Alabama, that's a bad sign. If you play them tough well, then they should handle the rest of their schedule. That's where that's where I'm at.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think most of us feel that way covering this team that, you know, this is a good team. You've got Derrick King, at quarterback. You've got some talented wide receivers who emerged in camp and Keyshawn Smith. And uh, you got Charleston Rambo who transferred in. I think the questions are basically on defense. You know, can they get somebody to play linebacker? And, you know, will they be able to put pressure on the quarterback? I think those are the two missing ingredients. I don't know that they necessarily found answers in camp. I don't know that anybody uh, stepped forward and said, I'm the man. I'm Ray Lewis Jr. or I'm Calais Campbell or Jalen Phillips. Uh, I don't know that they had anything like that happen. But certainly Manny Diaz, you listen to his interviews on the radio with WQAM or you listen to him, uh, listen to him with us uh, when, he's, when he's made available to us after practice. He's very uh, confident that they improved that the run defense is going to be better. He says that the defensive tackles are the key to it all. And I will say this, Miami's defensive tackle position with a he- with a healthy Nesta Silvera. Uh, I think it is pretty good. I think they've got enough talented defensive tackle with Jordan Miller, um, certainly uh, with uh, Jared Harrison hunt, John Ford. those guys are solid. Um, are they special? Is that Warren Sapp and uh, Russell Maryland up front? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, for an ACC schedule, a mediocre ACC schedule, uh, I think those guys can get the job done, and I think this team can win ten games. But that's my expectations for this season, Walter. Um, you've known this Hurricanes. We forgot program to mention, for by time. the way,
1: Leonard Taylor in
2: there. That's- Yeah. Well, Leonard Taylor is uh, he's one of those freshmen who will play sparingly, most likely, because the older guys will get the run. Uh, I don't expect Leonard Taylor to go in there and all of a sudden get a third of the reps or even half of the reps. I think he's going to be a sprinkle in Leonard Taylor. Same with James Williams and, you know, the other five star that they have. I just think Manny Diaz looking at the rotation, the depth chart, the guys that have been in practice, they're going to basically go too deep and when those guys play it's because other guys without with injury but anyway let me get to my question to you Walter what's your number one concern going into the season I just gave you mine what when you look at this roster where's where are you confident in saying this is Miami strength and where are you nervous
1: before I get to that answer by the way I'm looking at the schedule here this is it's so funny, Manny. If I were the athletic director in scheduling, I'd be such a wussy, especially with the team they have now. Now back in the, in the glory days, I'd be different. But like Alabama, would I take that game? Hell no. Uh, Appalachian State, you know, I have nightmares of the Michigan game. Wouldn't, wouldn't play them right off the bat. Michigan State, no thank you. I would probably schedule that Central Connecticut State. That's where I would start. I'm just – I was even – even when Miami was great, uh, I remember, I think it was where they played uh, BYU or San Diego state. Uh, I, I always like the cupcake first off, because you, you asked me where I think they're good, where I think you, just everything is an unknown right now, or, or mo- almost everything. Cause they haven't had, you know, they don't have that, that cupcake, uh, to start off with. Um, so, you know, to uh, answer your question, I mean, you know, right, wide receiver, you, you kind of like where they're at um, with Harley and Rambo and you're, and you're looking for that third guy. Uh, you were on my show the other day and we, Keyshawn Smith is a guy that I'm, I'm looking to be the guy to step in there, but he hasn't, he hasn't had enough opportunities to say he's going to be the guy. So you, you know, you still want to see that, um, you know, uh, continue to look at the roster here, Tight tight end uh, Will Mallory. Um, you know, he hasn't been the guy yet. So there's, we like what we've seen, but there's a, there's, a, there's a question about him there. Offensive line, it, ha, it did improve last year, but are they going to be able – now, are we talking, Manny, for Alabama, and we we talking for the whole season?
2: Well, it could be both.
1: I mean, can they, can they really move Alabama off the line of scrimmage? You know, we, we haven't seen that. Um, I know they have a lot of experience. There's a, there's a the kid, Jalen Rivers, uh, at guard. I really like him, man. I, I hope he's good enough to break in at, at left guard. If that happens, you know, that he, he wins it because he won it, not by default, I think that'll be a good sign, just sticking with the offense. You know, we haven't talked about kicker. I mean, that's a question. Okay, he's got the good bloodlines, but how do we know that this Borregalas is anywhere as good as the other Borregalas, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I mean, I know he had a good high school career, but we had kicker the, – the last kicker before Borregalas had – had a good high school career. We were told, so I, I still haven't. You know, I. It's a little bit of a uh, of a, a mystery what we're going to have at, at at kicker. So that kind of handles like the offensive side. You know, defensive end. Like man, there's one thing we've done lately is have good defensive ends. And DeAndre Johnson is an experienced guy. Um, Help me with some of these names, man. Who's the uh, – J- uh, Harvey, J- Jafari Harvey. Right. I mean, that guy seems to have been set up, you know, to step up to be able to go. Um, the linebacker, McLeod, um, what are you hearing from him? Is he going to stick at D end? That was the plan, right? Move him out of the linebacker where they need help to make a right. defense. What, what can you tell me about that?
2: Well, I think he's performed really well. And I wrote the other day that I think he's going to lead them in sacks. Uh, you know, I think part of it is just his intelligence. He's a very smart guy. Uh, I think he projected as a defensive end when Miami first recruited him. So I think he's sort of a natural fit there. Now, again, I don't think any of these guys are Jalen Phillips, Gregory Rousseau, um, right now anyway. I think Chance Williams and Jafari Harvey have a chance to eventually develop into that. But I think right now, right off the bat, uh you can't say that they're going to be that week one against Alabama or even week four against Central Connecticut State. We'll see. Um, so you're going to have a rotation. There's going to be a, a, you know, four deep at defensive tackle, four deep at defensive end. And I think as long as Miami can stay healthy, then they can get to the end of the season and, and probably be successful. But if they have a bunch of injuries and we've seen some of that here in spring camp, I mean, uh, fall camp rather uh, where guys have been dinged up. Nesta missed some time. Um, Deandre Johnson missed some time, uh, chance Williams. I saw with a wrap on his knee, he was held out of some practices. So, you know, guys get dinged up and, you know, when they have to play through nagging injuries, sometimes they don't perform to to the capability, you know, their, their highest capability. And so I'm worried about that position and I'm worried about linebacker. Um, you know, I just think Keontra Smith is the one guy who sort of emerged here in fall camp at weak side linebacker. But, you know, they had high hopes for Sam Brooks Jr. and for Avery Huff, you know, a four star recruit. And neither of those guys have really cracked, you know, the first or second team. Uh, you've seen Corey Flagg Jr. and you've seen uh, Bradley Jennings Jr., two guys who looked really, really slow against North Carolina last year and, they're still a part of that rotation at the linebacker position. So I'm concerned for Miami uh, at the linebacker spot. And so uh, to me, those are, the, those are the valid concerns will I,
1: I thought Flag looked good in the, in, the, um, in the brief moments he had last year. Uh, you were on my radio show on Tuesday. You called him slow-footed. I mean, he didn't seem that way to me. And, and here's another thing. Some of this is going to be on Manny Diaz. He's taking the controls um, as not just coach, but running the defense again. And, and some of this has to be system. Some of this has to be – in, in theory, I like the smaller, quick linebacker. I've always liked that. You, you talked about the other day about how he's – you know, Keontra Smith could get run over. But it, even when Miami was great, you know, all Hurricanes fans like to talk about that. I mean, they won – I remember one year against, I think it's Nebraska, and they had 220-pound defensive tackle. I know, man, you're going to tell me that was another era. But they won with quickness and penetrating the backfield, which is something Manny Diaz likes to do. So those small, quick linebackers, if they're going to really start Keontra Smith and on the other side, Gilbert Frierson is, in essence, is the other outside linebacker. He's a rover. They're going to have two very fast guys. And the point would be to diagnose that play, charge up. You know, they're they're going to be charging upfield and get in the backfield before that big 300-pound pulling guard gets there. That, in theory, that's the way they want it to work. Um, and especially the defensive tackles clog the middle and have those guys attack. And so win with speed. That that has to be that looks to be Manny what they're going to do.
2: Yeah, I think that's the approach. And and you know a couple years ago, you know you look back at some of the numbers when Manny Diaz was still coordinator in 2018 when they put up their best defensive season. Uh, you had Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinkney combined for nine and a half sacks. They were among the leaders in tackles for loss. So you're right. Manny's going to take more of an approach of attacking with his linebackers. Um, but that also leaves you susceptible to the big play when those guys aren't at home. You know, you can, you can try to bring them in to get the TFLs, force teams into second and third and long. But if you miss, and let's face it, Miami missed quite a bit late last year against North Carolina, uh, you can be in big trouble. And I think You know, week one against Alabama, you want to take that approach against a bunch of five-star offensive linemen and Nick Saban, uh, you could look pretty bad if it doesn't work out for you. So I think. uh, Yeah,
1: but again, philosophically here, philosophically, I think that I'd rather to see, Manny, I want to get your view on this, but I'd rather see them attacking and try to create that big play and that negative play and a possible turnover. Than the passive uh, philosophy and let the team matriculate down the field and, and give up the touchdown. Anyway, I'd rather, yeah, okay. There's, there's going to be an 80 yarder, but on the on the next possession, uh, you know, the, they'll get hit for an 80 yard run, but the next possession, they get a pick six or they get a fumble and scoop and score. I, I, I think they, you know, they just can't sit back. I don't think, I'm hoping Manny Diaz isn't going to sit back. I think he's going to be aggressive and yeah, there will be some big plays on the other side, but if they get, the pick six, the scoop and score, the turnover chain come out. We saw a couple of years ago that year you were referencing, Manny, when how how electric the stadium got when the, the turnover chain came out and, ha- and how many turnovers they forced. So um, I want them to be aggressive. So if that's what Manny has in mind, again, we're talking here without having seen uh, the 20, 2021 version of this team. So it's a little bit difficult to to know exactly what's going to go down. But as we sit here today, um, if that's what's it's looking like, speed and getting back to it, that attacking defense, and then, then I'm for that.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
1: Requires high speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on direct TV terms and restrictions apply.
2: Well, I I agree. I mean, look, Manny Diaz is going to coach the way he coaches. That's what we wanted. We wanted the D'Onofrio area era uh, era under Al Golden to end. We wanted more of an aggressive defense. (laughs) Uh, And it did, it's over. It's over and done with. Uh, But again, I think ultimately this season is going to be judged on how Miami stops uh, the opposing team from running the football. Because I think offensively they're going to be dynamite. I think yeah. they're going to score a lot of points. I think they're going to win 9, 10 games. But uh, in games like this against Alabama, against North Carolina, um, I think Manny's defense has to show up and do a much better job stop, stopping the run. Uh, and if they can do that, then I think we're going to see the season as progress. But if they don't and they get beat, beat by teams that can run the football – Everybody's just going to sit here and say, well, what really changed from last year with Manny Diaz taking over the defense? Right. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, we'll talk plenty about Alabama in the days ahead. Uh, in fact, I'm going to have Aaron Suttles, who covers the Crimson Tide for the Athletic. He's going to be on with me next week for the uh, Wide Ride podcast. And in as currently planned, I'm going to get George Teague, uh, former Alabama safety, who, Wal-V, well, if you remember that play in 1993, uh, Sugar Bowl, uh, between him and Lamar Thomas, the strip. Uh, Miami really hasn't been the same since that play. Alabama won that game decisively. Uh, the Hurricanes ended up coming back and winning a national title again in 2001. But, uh, you know, that era of the 80s and early 90s where Miami was dominating and playing in national championships, that's really the golden era of Hurricanes football, and it feels like that play in particular uh, was sort of the moment where th- things felt different. Uh, what do you remember about that play, Wally, well, the uh, the strip?
1: Well, yeah, Manny, it, it shattered the mystique of, of Miami speed is what it did because, remember, when Miami came of age, they were facing, it seemed like every year, either Nebraska or Oklahoma teams that were the triple option and had 350 20 pound offensive lineman at every single position. As I mentioned, Greg Mark was a 220 pound defensive tackle at one point in time. And Miami was not as big, uh, but quicker and faster. And these teams ran the option and try to get the edge on Miami. And it never, I mean, they, they, they couldn't get the edge on Miami. Um, they had some success maybe up the middle and things of that nature, but Miami speed, um, you know and that really began the Jimmy Johnson era where he take the uh again the, the big safety and make him a linebacker and take the the you know the linebacker that was you know all right speed for a linebacker but dynamite speed for and make at defensive end and and just just make that kind of transition which uh I mentioned now with Keontra Smith as an example. So what it did I think it just shattered that that illusion that Miami Miami just had faster athletes than anybody else but of course these other schools schools can recruit. And when we see now, especially as it pertains to Alabama, one of the, one of the ways that Alabama got to be Alabama again, it wasn't by recruiting, uh, guys from Alabama, quite frankly, it's a lot of it has been by Florida speed, South Florida speed and recruiting elsewhere. There, there's not enough for them in Alabama to be great. I would venture to say, if you look at their roster, I mean, I haven't studied it many, but that'd be my guess.
2: Yeah. A lot Um, of Jerry, Judy, uh, Mari, uh, Carter, or not Amari Carter uh the one who plays in Dallas and I'm forgetting his last name now receiver um played with the Ray well I looked it up
1: but I
2: right yeah I know you're he's another it. South Florida Miami Northwestern kid Amari, Amari Cooper Amari Cooper, Sorry. Amari Cooper. Right, right um brain fart there too many Amaris in my life um <laughs> so yeah you're right I think you know that's Alabama's adapted and really if you think about it if we're being honest Walt B The only time Miami's won a national championship is when it was absolutely loaded with talent after that, you know, everybody's slow, big era. Um, And, you know, they won four national titles in the eighties and nineties when Nebraska and Oklahoma ruled college football and because of their style. But like you said, everybody else has picked it up. They're playing the uh, spread offense that Dennis Erickson ran down here. Um, So everybody really pretty much copied Miami. Um, those will be interesting conversations with George Teague and Aaron Suttles. Wal well, I'm going to pivot really quickly because I want to get to more important subject subjects related to Miami here, but some notes because I wasn't at practice, as I mentioned, because of this COVID lockdown. Um, number one, Zion Nelson, he's kind of a big story. Uh, he hasn't practiced a whole lot since I want to say the middle of camp. Uh, wasn't it? Wasn't on the field Tuesday, but I had a source tell me today before the show that Nelson returned to practice this week. I know Manny Diaz um, has been saying he's going to be ready for the Alabama game, but that's something to closely monitor as we get closer to kickoff because he's your starting left tackle. Super important, best offensive lineman. Um, But I think it's a good sign that he was back at practice today on Wednesday and getting integrated back into what Miami wants to do. A um, couple of other observations. Um, and this is all courtesy of my friend Matt Shodell, who he and I, when we're at practice, we kind of, you know, through our binoculars, sit there and watch everything to see who's hurt and what's going on. These are the important guys who are hurt. Uh, Don Chaney Jr. was off to the side on Tuesday. Obviously, he's coming back from the shoulder injury, played in the scrimmage. I think it's precautionary. They want to make sure that his body fully recovers after the scrimmage and gets ready for game day. It's going to be one of those injuries I think that they, you know, treat softly the rest of the year. Um, Brian Balaam and Cam Kitchens, your backup safeties. uh, Both of them were not dressed. They were watching the action on Tuesday. I think that's a big deal because both of those guys in my eyes are the backups to Gervin Hall and Bubba Bolden. And if they're not ready to go for Alabama, that means you're going to see Amari Carter back out at safety and, I I really like Balam and Kitchens. I think they're good players, um, but you know it, it hurts Miami's depth. That that could be an issue as well. Um, everything else coming off of Tuesday's practice, which I did not attend, uh, is pretty pretty much status quo. Jared Williams and DJ Scaife both taking snaps with the first team at tackle. Jaden Rivers inside at guard. Corey Gaynor at center, and Yvonne Donaldson um, at right guard. So I think. That's a good sign. The offensive line is healthy. Um, But you got to monitor Don Chaney Jr. and the two backup safeties. Go ahead, Waldy.
1: I was going to jump in that if that is true, I mean, I'm fine with Amari Carter. Amari Carter, the problem with him is he gets, you know, the targeting penalty. seems like every game. If he Mm -hmm. can control that, and he's a good run stopper, and I like him as a player, and he's got a lot of experience, but also could open up, if it's true, of those two kids, uh, uh, Kitchens and and, and Balam are out, you know, James Williams could get a, an early look and that could be interesting to see. He's supposed to be a beast. Um, the other thing that I was going to mention is you gave that, you know, pretty cool uh, update there with a lot of news um, is Zion Nelson. Zion Nelson has to be, Manny, the most miraculous player on his team, given up for dead really after his freshman year, brutalized, by two stud defensive ends by the Florida Gators that I think went on to get drafted. And, and here he is, like mentioned as a high round NFL draft prospect. Uh, Kudos to that young man for believing in himself when I bet a lot of fans, you know, didn't believe in him. And I'll include myself in that. I didn't think he'd come back from that and be a a, a top shelf player. So you got to really hand it to him for, for how he's worked. The coaches, as well, deserve some credit but how he's worked to make himself, you know, a top prospect,
2: yeah. And one thing you can say about Zion Nelson and offensive tackles in general, I've studied this, talked to a lot of football experts. offensive tackles nowadays, the guys who are six, seven, six, you know, six, three hundred fifty pounds coming out of high school, those guys usually don't pan out because. They're used to winning because of the size of their body in high school. Then they get to college. They're too slow. A guy like Zion Nelson is the ideal sort of prospect you want now coming out of high school. 6'6", six, six, you know, 6'5", 240. They've got to grow into their bodies. They can put good weight on. And I think that's what's happened with him. He was basically uh, manufactured by the Miami Nutrition Office. You know, they put good weight on him, uh, trained him the right way. And he's got natural speed and athletic ability, and so that's why they, you know, he's considered one of the best offensive tackles in the conference. And you know, I heard the the first round potential uh, from scouts last year. I reported it. Now everybody else reported it after me. Uh, but essentially, he's got <laughs> the natural goods, Walter. That uh, that scouts like, and so we'll see what happens. Um, one interesting note, and we can sort of move on to the bigger okay, stories yeah. Don't they have another
1: guy that they that they looking um, for his name? Now I was going to say, don't they have another guy that they that they built that way too? That uh, another guy he hasn't played a lot, but he's another guy that was undersized offensive tackle. That yeah, Mike that could be Mike the
2: McLaughlin, the kid they got out of Douglas, who's got a big frame, former tight end. Um, you know, he's another guy who's sort of moving in and and becoming developed. Uh, Little by little here, but yes, he's sort of a project offensive tackle who sort of mirrors Zion, except I think he was like 280 when he got to Miami, not 240, but either way, he's played tight end most of his career and just moved recently to offensive tackle senior year of high school at Douglas.
1: Chris Washington is another kid. I don't know if he's going to pan out, but he was undersized too, six, seven. I think, yeah, I've heard
2: uh, I've heard probably won't pan out for him, but we'll see what happens. A couple of interesting things I want to get to one of them. The Miami Herald reported today that DJ escape, I guess, was stopped by police, had a gun in his car. This is back in the summertime and Mm. the state ended up dropping charges. Um, uh, Miami fans are pissed off at Barry Jackson and the Herald for reporting this because they think, you know, he raised the possibility of Miami suspending DJ Scaife. the way I read the article, um, the state dropped the charges because Scaife told police that he had applied for a permit to be able to carry the weapon with him. Didn't have it at the time, but the fact that he had previously filed paperwork to get it um, approved is the reason the state ultimately dropped it. So I think here's what I'll say about this, because in the end uh, Miami needs DJ Scaife to play against Alabama. Uh, if they were going to suspend him, they, he would not be getting first team reps. Uh, all throughout camp and then the first you know week of Alabama prep. He was practicing with the first team on Tuesday. I think this is a total non-story. Um, that's that one. Um,
1: yeah, I've got an update on that one, Navarro. Go
2: ahead.
1: Yeah, uh, what you don't know about that uh, skate story is he's with the uh, name, uh, image, and likeness. He's got a deal with Bass Pro Shops and Outdoor World. Okay. And for, for the guns. And so that's what he was doing.
2: Okay. You have that for, uh, for sure.
1: No, that's my joke.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I did not follow. I was I, like, what?
1: I'm, try- I'm trying to cover for him. I'm trying to cover. him. It's all about the oh, name gotcha. uh, image and likeness. And he's, got the, uh, he's got a deal working, an endorsement deal.
2: Correct. Uh, that's, that's the deal behind it. Um, speaking of deals, Couple of big police-related stories, obviously, for Miami in the past week, and we've got to address them. Uh, number one, Avante Williams, the safety, who was dropped from the team last month for you know after he was charged with three felony uh, aggravated battery assault charges against his pregnant ex-girlfriend uh, over the weekend. I talked to his lawyer. Um, wrote a story about the whole scenario. He says that you know, none of the charges are true. If he had really beat up this woman uh, that she would have much worse injuries than a broken fingernail and other things like that. This is a messy situation, Walter, because it's one thing to get pulled over like DJ scape and have a gun in your car or Larry Hodges and have gun and weed in your car. Uh, This is assaulting a woman essentially. And even though she didn't want to press charges, it's a slippery slope. Where do you stand on Avante Williams? I can say this. It's not Manny Diaz's decision uh, as far as whether or not he gets back into school. I think the lawyer basically told me if it were up to Manny, he would let him in. But what do you think the university should do in this situation?
1: It's tough because I don't know all the facts, but I think you're right. that it's a completely different situation. If you're talking potentially, uh, you know, imposing your size and, 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 and abusing a woman, that's that's really serious stuff. And I think Miami has to take a hard line uh, on that is my you know. I always say, you know, if it if it's if it's true, you have to give that caveat. If it's true, then he's got to go, uh, and he has to start somewhere else. Uh, but you know, I don't I don't know if it's true, but if it is, uh, that's serious stuff. You know, um, we, we for that.
2: Yeah, um, I I would say this uh, from talking to his lawyer uh, and reading the case file. Um, It's pretty obvious that his pregnant girlfriend or ex-girlfriend completely changed her story with police after the charges were uh, were filed. And uh, Etienne, Michael Etienne, uh, Avante's lawyer, who I've spoken to multiple times, uh, expressed to me that ultimately you can't, you know, if the charges are dropped, he should be reinstated immediately. Um, But. We don't know. We don't know what really happened. There were no eyewitnesses. Um, And, you know, he said he's not necessarily blaming police, but he said that this woman who was allegedly assaulted um, recanted the story or at least said the police didn't hear her correctly. So I don't know. I don't know where you go with this, but I can tell Miami fans listening to this as we record this right now uh, at 7.30 p.m. There is no update yet. I've reached out to avante's lawyer again and he said they're waiting for miami to get back to them so that's that Um,
1: what's what's been the twitter reaction to that in terms of him coming back to miami what what do the twitter spheres say what do miami fans in general what do you hear well i
2: think miami fans in general would love to have him back and that's all i keep hearing is you know the charges were dropped he needs to come back um i would say it's probably 85 to 15 percent of take him back um Mm -hmm. but I think people need to realize this is a completely different situation than, you know, <laughs> than a gun charge or, you know, weed or anything else. Uh, domestic violence is a serious issue. And, you know, right. I think we've seen people's careers get derailed by those charges. Avante Williams could very well end up playing football again. I know he has a lot of offers, um, but like I explained the other day to, to Kelvin Harris on his sh- on his podcast, um, if he leaves and he goes plays at Oregon or Auburn or Florida, wherever else, nobody's going to remember this story, right? I mean, nobody's going to talk about, oh, he's the guy who got arrested and then the charges were dropped. Uh, he'll have a clean slate somewhere else. I think as long as he's in Miami, this is always going to play in the ba- in the background as far as his career is concerned. So we'll see what happens. Um, let's move on to Brian Potter, which – I don't know, Wall V. Uh, were you still working at the Herald when Brian Potter was killed? That was 2006. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I can't remember. It's been well, so well, long. I
1: wasn't. Yeah, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was gone by then, yeah. Okay. Well,
2: the arrest of Rashawn Jones, I reached out, wrote a story for The Athletic, uh, reached out to a lot of their former teammates, both of their former teammates, uh, Kenny Phillips, Eric Moncor. Um Dave Howell, who does the soundtrack for their podcast, uh, The New Miami, all of those guys. uh, And they were just emotionally shook by the fact that police arrested Rashawn Jones and charged him. Um, Even with him being a suspect and everything that ESPN reported last year, it still was jarring for them to be like, wow, they've got enough to actually try and book this guy for this. And I guess when you read the story and heard about it, Wal-V, what was your reaction?
1: Uh, you know, it's tragic, tragic, you know, that the young man lost his life. And then if, if it, again, if it's true at the hands of a teammate, that's just um, unconscionable. It, it's it's a black mark against the hurricanes program If that, that, you know, um, assuming like you said, that they, the police charge them, they must have uh, some amount of evidence. But yeah, it's a tragic case. Um, just just starting with the, the young man's loss of life, and I think he would have been an NFL
2: player, don't you? Oh yeah, he would have been drafted for sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Requires high speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on direct TV terms and restrictions apply.
2: Yeah. I mean, sad story. Um, you know, I've talked to Edwin Potter a couple of times since the arrest, uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to go and sit with his mom and talk to the family and write a nice story about, uh, just, you know, what, what they're experiencing, what they're feeling, um, and, and, be able to tell their side of the story here soon before we get to the trial. Those, there's a lot of things going on with police uh, and, and their case, and I've reached out my, to Miami-Dade police to get more information to see what's really changed here that's allowed them to proceed with charges against Rashawn Jones. So uh, it'll be an interesting story to follow um, in the years ahead. I don't think it's going to be a black mark on Miami football from the perspective of recruiting now. I mean, this happened 15 years ago. Um, certainly I think parents are going to be concerned and, and say, well, you know, I can't believe a teammate did this, but they're so far removed from that era that I don't think it's necessarily going to affect Miami's recruiting right now. Maybe no. I'm wrong.
1: No black mark historically, but no, I'll agree that it, it won't affect, uh, you know, the current team, but, and in terms of the pot of family, you know, I guess my hope is it, 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 it does give them some closure, but no, I, I wasn't saying that that it's going to affect recruiting now. I don't think so, but you yeah. know, it is, it's something that's going to go down historically. If again, if he is proven to be guilty,
2: we have a few questions that were sent in from our, uh, from my Twitter followers, Walby that I'm going to get to in a sec and, and we can both tackle them one by one. But this Alliance thing between the ACC PAC 12 and big 10, uh, your reaction initially to that.
1: But what they haven't, they haven't resolved anything, have they?
2: No, no deal. Uh, basically just came out yesterday. The commissioners did and said uh, we're we've got a handshake agreement that we want to move forward, schedule each other moving forward uh, and basically double middle fingers to the SEC.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're nervous. I don't, they, they, they didn't resolve anything. They, they met and uh, they're they're
2: shitting their pants right now because SEC is out for total world domination. absolutely right i i I think here's where i'll weigh in on all this i i think college football and the playoff system the fear obviously is that the sec is going to get six teams every single year right they're going to get them in there because they're going to have the best conference it's going to be a a huge difference between the sec acc big 10 and and big and pac 12 rather Um, and so the feeling is if we're going to create this playoff system we have to make it fair and balanced um that said uh this whole thing about scheduling in the future and we're standing together uh i think the moment clemson florida state ohio state say hey you know what we want to go join the sec and form this super conference uh they're going you know they're going to leave at the quickest win because they're the money makers and and they don't want to you know sh- share the money with anybody else so i think that's what this is really about it's holding on to the assets right now in those conferences um, you know, the Big uh, Ten and Pac-12, their TV contracts end in 2025. The ACC is tied in until 2036. So the likelihood of a Pac-12 or Big Ten team leaving and forming uh, a super conference with the SEC is more likely than, you know, a Clemson and Miami or Florida State doing it right now just because of the penalty that they would have to pay to leave those conferences. So I know you want to jump in. Go ahead, Walter.
1: Well, can't the NCAA – I know they're trying to ultimately even get rid of the NCAA, but until they do, can't the NCAA, if they do expand in teams, which I've heard plans to expand to eight or even 12 Uh with uh, the top four teams getting a first-round buy, um, I would imagine they would stipulate that at least a league champion of those other four conferences would be in and at least one non-Power 5 would be in. And so they could legislate it in a way – so yeah, SEC would still have a bunch of teams, but that at least the champion of those leagues that, the, that league championship means something and, and and maybe with Oklahoma with so many good teams have, find himself outside the you know the, the the playoffs, just because they can't navigate a tough SEC schedule, and maybe they might have been better off where they were. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, isn't there a way for the NCAA to, to legislate things so there is some sort of um, well across conferences?
2: I think that's the issue right now, is that the NCAA is kind of falling apart, right, with NIL and everything else going on. Um, I think they're really losing their power over this, and the conferences really control the playoff themselves. Uh, and, and that's the moneymaker, that in March Madness. And so they're sort of saying, hey, thanks, NCAA, but, you know, We'll, we'll handle this ourselves um, because they want the TV dollars and the revenue on their own and they control that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting what happens here in the months and uh, years ahead. But I think that whole alliance thing was just, you know, it's a PR sort of stunt to say, hey, we're reacting to Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC and we got to say something. We can't just be here, you know, with our, with our uh, mouth shut. Um, the one interesting thing about it that was the, discussed, go ahead, Walter.
1: No, I was going to say that the NIL thing, uh, really worked. You say the NCAA is falling apart. I would say not necessarily the NIL thing worked perfectly for the NCAA. I mean, the players are getting paid. They're happy. And it doesn't, I mean, even FIU, I, I, I spoke to Devonte Price the other day. He's making some money. He's got a, he says he's got a bunch of endorsements. Now, I, I don't know how much money I didn't, I didn't uh, ask that nosy question, but, Uh, He's happy. And so that money doesn't have to come out of the NCAA pocket and the, and playing, paying the players to me was never going to be, uh, it was, that was never going to work. Like if the NCAA say, okay, now we're going to pay the players. Okay. So how does that work? Does the, the quarterback, you're going to pay everybody the same. The quarterback at Alabama is going to make the same as the kicker, the backup kicker at at, at McNeese state. Of course Mm -hmm. not that just, that wouldn't work. But now it is capitalism. Now the bigger name is going to make more money. Doesn't come out of the NCAA's pocket. To me, that was a. I don't know about you, but if I'm the NCAA, I'm super happy about NILs.
2: No, no, because in the end, now the corporation's going directly to the athlete. And before, uh, they would go right to the NCAA and say, "Hey, we want to promote your sports. We want to put our branded soft drinks cups uh, directly." Onto the NCAA, right? Their commercials during the broadcast, um, their signage at the championship game. Now, a lot of these companies are like, "What the hell do we need you for? You're the middleman. We want the athlete. We want to be able to promote the athletes, the guys that are going to be in the NFL or the NBA."
1: They're still making all that TV money. They're, they're still getting they're still getting paid, and it's more equitable now. Now, now the players are getting paid. Sure, but they're splitting
2: the pie. I mean, look, it's the greedy fighting over more greed, right? That's ultimately what this is all about. And the athletes are finally dipping into that. They're actually getting some real money out of it. So, you know, I think it just bothers them. It bothers them that they've lost control. It's like everything else in this country, right? When people lose control, they get angry. I think the NCAA uh, has lost some control. And that's what this is about. It's about power. Um, All right, so... The one interesting sort of aside from this whole alliance talk was the scheduling, right? The future scheduling. The ACC, SC, I mean, the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac twelve are mm-hmm. going to try to schedule each other, sort of what they do in basketball already with the ACC Big Ten Challenge, or you know what they do with the uh, the Big Ten and the Pac twelve as far as other sports, um, you know, football. Future scheduling is done so far ahead. Miami, for instance, uh, I think is booked up until 2027. So it's going to be difficult to sort of all of a sudden add Washington, Ohio State, and Michigan to your schedule. But the one thing that is interesting about this all, um, A, the Big Ten and Pac-12 have nine conference games. So in this world that they're creating, this alliance world, You know, we need to know, are they going to trim back from playing nine conference games to eight to welcome more ACC opponents? The ACC plays, you know, eight conference games. They get four non-conference games a year. Um, If you're going to have an alliance, uh, that means then, you know, what do you do about scheduling SEC teams? And that obviously puts Miami in a very interesting position, hypothetically, when it comes to playing the Florida Gators. Um, Miami and Florida are going to play each other in 2024 and 2025, and it and if this alliance is real, right? If this is really going to come to fruition, does this mean the end of the Gators and Hurricanes playing each other?
1: I I guess I mean to me that's already been ruined, right? They should have been playing every year. So if now you're telling me they might may, might not play at all, and I'm supposed to weep over that? I mean. They, to me, the Gators already chickened out of that whole thing. And, and <laughs> it's just not going to mean that much to me if they say it goes away completely. I mean, that's why I always had a lot more respect for Florida State. They never and Miami as well. I mean, like, as I mentioned in the top of our show today, look at that schedule that my, Miami has really no business playing Alabama, dude. I mean, they don't. They're not there yet. And but they're not going to say no. And so um, if the Gator thing goes away, then it goes away.
2: Well, I guess you're not crying over it. Uh, For me, I think Miami fans would absolutely hate it. And I can tell you from talking to Blake James, the athletic director of Miami in the past, he absolutely wants to play the Gators. That's a huge uh, draw for Miami every single time they play the Gators and get them to play here in Miami. Um, And I think the ideal thought was maybe you play them four times every 10 years. Uh, But if this alliance thing goes through, could potentially be the end of Miami and Florida. If that's uh, really what ends up happening. All right. I want to get to some Twitter questions, Wall V, and then we're going to I, wrap this thing up. Just,
1: just, just to finish. I, I would like the, the Hurricanes to play the Gators every year. Okay. Just so I'm record for that, but if it, you know, if it, but already I, the Gators wreck that thing. And, and if it goes away, then it goes away. Go ahead. Go to Twitter.
2: All right. This is from OVW at uh, minority majority. Okay. What is the University of Miami doing to support the mental health of its athletes, especially speaking of those who post suicidal messages on social media? What are the specific steps? Now, uh, interesting development. I saw this tweet. I don't know when it was, several days ago. But Isaiah Walker, who is one of Miami's offensive tackles, I guess, posted something that was very distressing. And so Miami fans under the radar have been talking about this in chat rooms and so forth. Uh, I can tell you this: uh, Miami tries to get all of its players mental health counseling, whether it's from a competitive standpoint or um, you know whatever issues Isaiah's de- uh, Isaiah Walker's dealing with. Um, I can tell you this from from talking to people behind the scenes and knowing Isaiah's story because I reported on it when he first transferred from Florida to Miami. He had uh, an unfortunate relationship um, with his father and things didn't go over well. And so he's dealing with some things emotionally. I know that from talking to his high school coaches and him himself. Um, And so I don't know if that's what all of this came out of, but certainly I hope whatever help Isaiah needs, he gets it and that he's fine. I know the coaching staff is obviously aware of it uh, and they want to help him. They want to help them progress and be a, a player who can make an impact here. But for those of you wondering, hey, why haven't we seen Isaiah Walker on the field? Why is he with the third team? Yada, yada, yada. Why did they go out and sign you know a guy like Justice Oluasun from, from Houston? It's because you're dealing with a young man who has some, some issues. And so uh, I'm rooting for him. I hope everything works out uh, for Isaiah. When I talked to him, got to know him a little bit over the phone uh, seemed to me like, to be a really good kid. Um, but, you know, this this issue uh, behind the scenes, it is what it is. Miami's doing its best to help them, and I'm hoping things work out. Um, while well, V, um, let's move on to another subject, because I know that's a very touching one. Um, here's one. When do you expect the NCAA to relax the 25 scholarship cap per recruiting cycle limit? UM already has three scholarships counting forward in 2022 and nine commitments currently. Um, this is from Andrew 17. Um, have you heard anything from FIU about this since you do cover them?
1: No, I haven't. I, I, I'd be in favor. I think they should. Um, they should. The, the one number that should count is the 85 scholarships and how they get there should be up to the school. Like in basketball, I think it's 13 scholarships, but if, it, but if a school wants to recruit eight kids one year and that has happened, then they do it. And they, mm-hmm. it, you know, so it should be about the 85 and not the 25 that the 25 doesn't make any sense to me.
2: Yeah. Um, without question. I can tell you that this has been a discussion uh, with the NCAA and college coaches for quite some time. Uh, Since the whole COVID pandemic started, they're still working towards a resolution. I think they are going to be able to bend the rules a little bit, especially in light that you have so many super seniors and guys who, um, you know, got an extra year of eligibility. You can't just ignore it. So I think you could see something here announced uh, in the next couple of weeks, months as the football season gets underway because coaches need answers. They need to know how many people they can sign and recruit. And ultimately, Walter, I think your plan is the best. I think you got to count up to 85 and however many you sign each cycle is however many you sign based on your need. And, you know, I think part of this flexibility too has to be because of what's going on with the transfer portal, right? Everybody can transfer once without having to sit out. Um, You know, this is one of those scenarios now where, Hey, you have free agency in college football, Uh, You got to adjust. So I think the 25 scholarship cap is going to change in one way, shape or form. I don't know if they make it 30. I don't know if they just say unlimited per cycle. I don't know if they give a certain date where you have to have everybody who you're going to take into your football season accounted for. All of those are issues that I think are being discussed. All right. Um, We'll get into some more stuff here. I'm scrolling through the, uh, the Twitter sphere. Uh, this is from Ariel Marion, 38. What player are you most impressed with or surprised by in the last couple of days other than Eric King? Uh, I'll name one on each side of the ball Keontra Smith on defense and uh, Keyshawn Smith. The two K Smiths, those are my selections. I think both of those guys have moved from uh, supporting cast into lead roles. While V, from what uh, You've heard me say, is there anybody else you're super intrigued by? Uh,
1: without having seen them play, haven't seen the scrimmage. Um, well, I, I, those freshmen, the true freshman wide receivers seem like they've been putting up numbers in scrimmages. Right. All, yeah. all three of them.
2: They, they have. And I think they will be in the rotation um, getting some playing time. Uh, and, and a lot of that's going to eat into Mark Pope and D Wiggins and whoever else. <laughs> Um, was sort of relegated to the yeah, second union. I think the first team is pretty well established, as far as you know, guys who are going to get the bulk of the work.
1: That that's going to be super impressive because you know how Manny Diaz navigates all those receivers and and sort of not give uh, sort of senioritis type of thing. You know, with with uh, Wiggins and Pope because they've been there longer and just a real meritocracy earn your your playing time that's going to be really interesting to follow
2: yep i'm with you all right a couple of uh more questions here dirty south tv love the name um just how good does x-man look lately can he be the game winner that we all know he can be of course x-man is xavier restrepo uh the kid out of Deerfield Beach High School, receiver, slot receiver. I like Xavier a lot. I think he's he's going to be one of your gritty guys who plays a lot on special teams, who occasionally spells um, Mike Harley in the slot. I think it'll be Mike Harley, Mark Pope, and Xavier Restrepo slipping slot uh, snaps, so to speak. Um, you know how good does he look? I don't know what the ultimate you know finished product is going to look two years from now. But I do know that he's going to be a guy who helps Miami win. He's going to make plays, like I said, on special teams. He'll come up with some big third down catches. Uh, he'll be somebody who Hurricanes fans like, and I think he's got a good attitude. Um, all right, one more here. Overall, who looks better, our offense or our defense? Who has more healthy depth? This is also from Dirty South TV. I think we've made it pretty clear. The offense is, to me, deeper healthier, and better. Um, This is going to be an offensive team this year. Defense, TBA. I don't know what Manny D is going to be able to do with this unit, Um, but you know, Leonard Taylor and James Williams are true freshmen. I think it's going to take them a while before they adjust to college football. Walvey, you know that. Very rarely do you see true freshmen come in right away and make a huge impact. Defensive tackle especially. Uh, It's a tough position to adjust to the to the size you go against every day. Uh, Leonard Taylor's a beast. He's going to be a really good one, and I think James Williams is going to be a really good player. I just, I just think you're asking a lot to expect him to come in and be heroes against Alabama.
1: By the way, how unprofessional is it of me that I, at three-fourths through this podcast, I put my legs up I'm on the desk and I just said, you know, the equity. with it. It's been a long podcast. I'm ready to wrap this up.
2: Uh, we are. That was it. That was the end of it. That's how you uh, wrap up a podcast. You put your feet up on the table and you just say, bring it on. Bring on Alabama,
1: baby. Bring on Alabama. I'll be screaming until the first touchdown by Alabama. And then I'll shut up and uh, stop weeping. Start weeping.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. 19 and a half point underdogs. That's what your Hurricanes are. Week one against the defending champions. Wavi, final question. Do the Hurricanes cover or not cover?
1: I've got to go with the Hurricanes covering, of course. Come on. All right. Absolutely.
2: They will cover according to Wall can't, V. I'll Can't, g-
1: can't pick against. It.
2: I will give my prediction next week. By the way, thank you for listening to today's episode. Uh, hopefully, I'll have that interview with uh, George Teague, and uh, next week, Aaron Suttles for sure, the Athletic uh, beat writer. Um for the uh, for the Alabama Crimson Tide. He'll be on with me so that'll be next week's show. Thank you for listening to Wide Right. I'm Manny Navarro. Subscribe to the Athletic. Please, please, please. Talk to you later.
0: 305 954 568